Now this afternoon, for just a few minutes, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Samuel. First Samuel chapter 3, and we'll go ahead and read the entire chapter, it's not a real long one. First Samuel chapter 3, this is the word of God, let us hear it. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time, when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim, that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli, and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. And that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord has said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told him every whit, and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. 
and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Amen. We'll end our reading at the end of the chapter, and we know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. For his name's sake, I want to call your attention in particular to the very first verse of this reading in 1 Samuel 3, paying attention in particular to what this verse says to us about the word of God in those days. Look at what it says. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. The word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Now in the time of 1 Samuel, the tribes of Israel were in a sorry condition spiritually. 1 Samuel occurs at the end of that time in which Israel was ruled by judges. Samuel, could, you could say, was the last of the judges. The book must be understood, therefore, in the historical setting of the book of Judges. And if you're at all familiar with the book of Judges, then you know that the tribes of Israel went through repeated cycles of being brought into bondage because of their sin. Following a period of bondage, the Lord would raise up a man who would be used of God to deliver Israel from that bondage. A time of rest would then occur, and then sadly the tribes of Israel would forsake the Lord again and would eventually be brought into bondage again, and the whole cycle would repeat again. And we find that cycle to be repeated throughout the book of Judges. You could say, too, that 1 Samuel marks a transition period in the history of Israel. The book begins with a judge, Samuel, but ends with a king, King Saul, who would mark the beginning of the kings of Israel. But the time in which we have read now in these opening uh, chapters in First Samuel, and in the chapter we read, the time period was marked by spiritual degradation, by hypocrisy and immorality and apostasy. Reference was made, and, and you heard it, to Eli. He was the high priest at that time. Reference is made to his sons. Eli's sons, you'll know this if you know the book, they were so flagrantly sinful in their roles as priests that they caused others to abhor the worship of Jehovah and his offerings. It seems that Eli's sons went through the motions. They had a form of religion. They wore the priestly garments. They performed the priestly functions but they knew nothing of godly fear. They knew nothing of personal holiness. They had a form of religion, but they knew nothing of the power. It would have been easy, I suppose, for those who were God-fearing men at that time to ask the question, what's wrong? 
What's wrong with the church, so to speak? Why don't we know the presence and power of the Lord? Why do we hear of great and mighty things from bygone days when the Lord moved with power to deliver us from Egypt and to sustain us in the wilderness and bring us into the land, but we know nothing of those things in our day? What does the church need? What do the people of God need to have happen? Well, I think 1 Samuel 3 answers that question for us. And it answers that question in a way that I think some would overlook. We find in this chapter the child Samuel growing into a man. Look at verse 1, okay? The chapter begins with Samuel as a child. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And you look a little further down to verse 19 now in that same chapter. And it says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. So Samuel begins ministering unto the Lord before Eli. The chapter ends with all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, knowing that Samuel had been established to be a prophet of the Lord. Another prophet following a long period where there were none. It would be easy, therefore, to conclude that what's needed in the church during days of spiritual degradation and immorality and apostasy is for a man to be raised up the way Samuel was raised up. And we certainly are aware that revivals throughout church history are marked with great men. When you think of the Reformation, the names of Luther and Calvin and Knox come readily to mind. When you think of the Great Awakening, names like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards come readily to mind. And while I'm not denying that the Lord raises up men to be great, what I want you to see from the chapter we've just read is that there's something even more basic than that which must happen. Something that underlies the raising up of great men, and that is the word of the Lord becomes manifested to the hearts of God's people. Okay, look again at that first verse in chapter 3. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. We'll look into that a little more in just a moment. But hear what it says. The word of God was precious. Other versions render it rare. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no open vision. Now you look down to the last two verses, verses 20 and 21. And we note that the chapter certainly ends better than it begins when we read these words, And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So you see the thing that is even more basic than a man being raised up? It is the word of the Lord that again is going forth with power. You find that very phenomenon in the book of Acts. I know I've pointed out 
on numerous occasions. I, I love every excuse to point it out. Acts chapter 12 and verse 24, it says, But the word of God grew and multiplied. It was not so much an apostle. It was not so much Paul or Peter or the others. It was the word of God. That's why I say something even more basic than a man. It was the word of God that grew and multiplied. And again in Acts chapter 19 and verse 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Now when Luke, the author of Acts, makes statements like that, what he means by that statement is not that uh, th there were uh, uh, increases in publications of the written word of God. Of course, that predates the whole era of the printing system. So written copies were not all that extensive in ancient times. But what Luke is talking about is the impact of the word of God when he says that it mightily grew and prevailed. In other words, God's word was going forth with power. It was having an impact on hearts. And that's what was missing in Samuel's day. When Samuel was a child, arguably, the same thing we face in our day. We see the same thing now that we see in this chapter of the Old Testament. And doesn't this phenomenon indicate to us or demonstrate to us a clear continuity in the Bible when it comes to the spiritual advancement or spiritual decadence in the lives of the people of God? What do we need to see in our day? Basically, we need to see the same thing that the Israelites needed to see and did eventually see in 1 Samuel 3. We need to see the same thing the Christians saw in Acts 12 and Acts 19. In other words, simply put, we need the Lord's word to return. We need that precious word, that rare word, if you will. We need it to return. And in order to convince you of this need this afternoon, I want to draw your attention to just a couple of the reasons why we need to see the Lord's Word return. We need to see the Lord's Word return, first of all, because it is rare. And again, the words of our text, and the Word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Our authorized version renders that word precious, and the term certainly conveys to us the high value that ought to be put on the Word of God. When you think of something that's precious, you think of something that's very valuable, and it should be valued, very highly valued by us. But as I said a moment ago, other translations render the word rare. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Commentators point out that the meaning of the verse would be that there were no prophets in the land, nor had there been for some time. And in fact, it's interesting to note that there are only two instances in the entire book of Judges that you actually have the voice of a prophet. In chapter 4, you have the example of Deborah, a prophetess. And in the next chapter, we have her prophetic song. 
Then in chapter 6, we read in verse 8 of the Lord sending a prophet, an unnamed prophet, in answer to the cry of the Israelites who rebukes them for their disobedience. And apart from these specific instances, we have no utterance that is designated as a prophetic utterance throughout the book of Judges. Interesting to note, however, that there were other things in place to communicate the truth of God to the Israelites. The book of the law by that time had been written. Joshua had been commanded not to let the book of the law depart from his mouth, but he was to meditate therein day and night. Of course, the book of the law in his case would have been the books that Moses wrote. The Israelites were commanded in Deuteronomy 27 to plaster two stones and to write upon those stones the words of the law. There was also to be an assembly of people during which time the blessings and the curses of the law would be read from Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. The blessings from one mount, the curses from the other, and this was to be done in the assembly of the people. So even in the absence of a prophet, and this is the point I'm making, there was still access to what God had communicated. We can add to that uh, the sacrificial system, which was in place by that time. The sin offerings, the trespass offerings, the peace offerings, the burn offerings, they had all been instituted by then. So there was much to convey the will and the ways of God to the Israelites, even in the absence of a prophetic voice. For all this revelation, however, the narrative indicates to us that it was nevertheless still a time of spiritual decline and rampant immorality. The immoral conduct of Eli's sons caused many to despise the offerings of the Lord. And so you might conclude that the word of the Lord was rare, not only in terms of the voice of a prophet being heard, but it was also rare in the sense that hearts were not being impacted by the revelation that God had given and had preserved for his people a phenomenon not entirely unlike what we have in our day today. So in that respect, we can draw analogies to the word of the Lord in our day. It's readily available. There are so many different versions of the Bible, each with a supposed aim of making it more easily understandable. And there are various study helps for the Bible, which come with the aim of helping the student of the Bible understand the meaning and the historical settings of the Bible. I dare say that the sale of Bible helps has been and continues to be a booming business. And yet for all these things, don't we have to acknowledge that there still is a sense in which the word of the Lord is rare in the sense that people's lives are not being affected. For all the Bibles that are in circulation in our land, have we ever seen a greater time 
of wickedness and hypocrisy? Have we ever seen a greater time of worldliness and the pursuit of carnal pleasure? 1 Samuel 3 and verse 1 reveals to us something very interesting at the end of the verse. Note the last phrase which says, There was no open vision. And the word open is a word that means literally to break forth. So one translation renders it this way. There is no vision broken forth. And it is the breaking forth of God's word that really constitutes revival. It's the pouring out of his spirit that makes the word of the Lord effectual. This is why those verses in Acts say that the word of God grew and multiplied and prevailed. There was a breaking forth of God's word when it was preached. This was not happening in those days when Samuel was a child. It's fair to say that it's not happening much in our day either. And doesn't this third chapter of 1 Samuel teach us that this is what we need to see happen? It's not, as some men would have it, an adjustment in the style of worship that's needed. It's not an adjustment to the length of the sermons. It's not an adjustment in some type of atmosphere that we try to reproduce. What we need to see is a breaking forth of the word of the Lord or an open vision, as our text puts it. And where this open vision is given, then lost sinners are enabled to see and perceive the reality of their lost condition. Christians are able to see and perceive the glory of Christ and the greatness of his salvation. This is how the cause of Christ advances when the word of the Lord breaks forth. When the Apostle Paul reflected on his time in Corinth, he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 2 and said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. It wasn't because Paul was a gifted orator that people were responding to him the way they did. In fact, he seems to indicate that he was not that kind of a speaker. It was because he preached in the spirit and demonstration of power, something that only the Holy Spirit can give. I remember hearing it said, hearing it suggested, that in the days of the Great Awakening, this was how we account for uh, the terror that struck people when Jonathan Edwards preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. Oh, he's been depicted just as a, a flaming orator who could stomp back and forth and wave his arms and pound the pulpit and uh, just had a way uh, through his dramatic style of cre- creating uh, an impact, a dramatic impact of terror And when you hear that, and then you hear the actual circumstances behind that sermon, uh, 
it makes you realize, no, that's not the case at all. He preached the sermon at night. He preached it with a candlelight in front of him. Uh, He preached it from a manuscript, holding that manuscript right up in front of his face and simply reading from it. There wasn't anything to his communication technique that would have created the impact on his hearers of the reality of hell. No, it was the Holy Spirit bearing witness to the truth of the hearers of what was being preached. They not only heard the truth, they perceived the reality of the truth. And that's what's needed. And that's what only the Holy Spirit can do. So let's make sure that that is the thing that we seek. That is one of the reasons you know that we meet in the middle of the week to pray. Oh, Lord, we are halfway through the week. We begin to anticipate the arrival of thy day. Please work on the preacher's heart. Please give him the messages he's to preach. Please give him the power to preach those messages so we don't merely listen to some kind of scriptural exposition or theological discourse But Lord, we want to hear from Thee. We want truth and reality of truth ministered to our heart. And Lord, that only comes when you'll send the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the truth. That's why we pray. That's the primary reason we pray in the middle of the week. Not that that's the only thing we pray for, mind you. But God forbid that we would ever forget to pray that way. We need to see the Lord's word become an open vision, so to speak. So that's the first reason we need the Lord's word to return because it is precious, meaning that it is highly valued and it's rare. The next reason, and I'll conclude with this one, the next reason we see the, we, we see the need for the Lord's word to return is because it is the Lord's word that leads us to Christ. The Lord's word leads us to Christ. This leads us to the effect of the word upon the life of Samuel. Look again at verse 7, if you would, chapter 3. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord revealed unto him. Note the two things here, okay? Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord was not yet revealed to him. In verse 19 in this chapter, we have a a panoramic view given to us of Samuel as he grows from a young child into a man. And in that verse, verse 19, we're told the Lord was with Samuel. It's clear from that statement in verse 19 that whereas Samuel did not yet know the Lord in verse 7, by the time you get to verse 19, Samuel did know the Lord. And the difference between verse 7 and verse 19 is that the word of the Lord was revealed to Samuel. Now the point I'm now trying to make is that the difference between knowing the Lord and not knowing the Lord hinges on the matter of having the word of the Lord revealed to you. In the last verse of the chapter, verse 21 
We're told, For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Just making sure I got that reference right. Yeah, it's verse 21. The Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now, I'm aware of the fact that the word of the Lord was revealed to Samuel in a prophetic sense, if you will. And the account we have of the Lord calling to Samuel, following three instances of Samuel mistaking the voice of the Lord for the voice of Eli, Samuel at last addresses the Lord and says to him, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And when the Lord speaks to Samuel, he conveys a message to Samuel that doesn't have anything to do with Samuel. The Lord rather confirms to Samuel and through Samuel the word he had given earlier concerning Eli and the judgment that was going to fall upon his house for his failure to restrain their, 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 his son from their sins. In this way, then, the word of the Lord was revealed to Samuel in a prophetic sense, that is, in the sense that Samuel would become the declarer of God's word to Israel. The point I want to make, however, is that the difference for you and me between knowing the Lord and not knowing the Lord hinges upon the matter that is illustrated to us by Samuel. The word of the Lord led him to knowing the Lord. And that's just as true for you and for me as it was for Samuel. Paul teaches us this very thing when he writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Oh, there is the word of God becoming an open vision, if you will. Growing mightily. It effectually works in the hearts of those that recognize it for what it is. Which is God's word. The word of God effectually works in you. It was instrumental in your new birth. So Peter writes, 1 Peter 1.23, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Just as the word of Christ was effectual in calling Lazarus back to life, who had laid for days in the tomb, so does that word work effectually upon the hearts of those that are dead in trespasses and sins. And as that word was effectual in bringing you to spiritual life, so is that word necessary to maintain spiritual life. The sinner you see who's been wrought upon by the word of God and the spirit of God doesn't merely enter into a new religion or some exclusive segment of Christianity. No, rather, the person who has been wrought upon by the word of God enters into a personal relationship with God through Christ. Let me have you turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 1. 
First John chapter 1. And I want to illustrate something to you, what I've been talking about here. First John chapter 1, look at verse 3, if you would. Where John writes, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see how the readers of John's epistle themselves enter into fellowship with the Father and with Christ? Okay, John doesn't say to them, does he? That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you so that you might be impressed with my experience of Christ. It's not why John wrote it. Now, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So you see how the readers of John's epistle enter into fellowship with the Father and with Christ. It is through the effectual application to their hearts of the message that John declares to them. And that declaration comes to them and to us now through what John has written to them. Verse 4 indicates that the joy of this fellowship comes as a result of the things he writes to them. Look at verse 4, 1 John 1. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Dr. Cairns used to stress it to us. And I think, well, I'm sure I've stressed it myself a time or two, but I don't think I've done it recently. Dr. Cairns used to be fond of saying to us, that the Bible was never intended simply to be a record of revelation given to others. The Bible was given so that Christ might be revealed to us. It becomes revelation to us as the Spirit of God um, makes it effectual and makes it a living word to our souls. It is the word of the Lord, therefore, that leads us into fellowship with Christ. This is why we need the word of the Lord to return. When the word of the Lord is rare, as it was in Samuel's day, then hearts are not truly impacted by religion. Religion becomes a mere creed that you profess and a code of conduct that you vainly try to follow. And when religion degenerates into mere externals, then the world gains sway over you and you become all the more vulnerable to the lusts of the flesh. It becomes easy to follow the paths of Eli's sons into immorality. Why did Eli's sons live the way they lived? Why did they abuse the practice of their priestly roles? Why did they commit such awful sins of immorality? Well, chapter 2 and verse 12 tells us why, back in 1 Samuel, it was because they knew not the Lord. They were exposed to the revelation of God. The very sacrificial rituals they abused were meant to convey the message to them that they could be saved, that their sins could be forgiven, that their sins could be imputed to the sacrifice and atoned for. 
but their hearts were hard toward God's revelation, even though they were constantly exposed to that revelation. And because of their hardness toward that revelation, they had no knowledge of God. They didn't know him. They may have known some things about him, but they didn't really know him. This is why we need the word of the Lord to return to keep us spiritually sensitive to the realities of things like heaven and hell and salvation by grace through faith, to keep us spiritually sensitive to the glory and grace of our Redeemer. This is why we need to pray when we read our Bibles. We need to pray as the psalmist prayed. Three times he prays, actually more than that, but no fewer than three times do we find him praying in the 119th Psalm, Quicken me according to thy word. Quicken me. Some versions render it, revive me. Other versions render it, make me alive again. According to thy word. Let me cite just a couple of instances. Verse 25 from Psalm 119. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken me according to thy word. Verse 107, I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. And verse 154, plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me according to thy word. Make thy word effectual in my life, dear Lord. Make it effectual when I sit under the preaching of that word. Make it effectual when I open my Bible and I read thy word. Lord, save me from merely dragging my eyes over your word and maybe storing some information in my head, but not really meeting with Christ. Oh, how we need the word of the Lord to return when we find ourselves in that condition. The vitality of our walk with the Lord, then, depends upon the word of the Lord coming to you and me the same way it came to Samuel. When the Spirit of God bears witness to the word of God, to the hearts of the people of God, then that word becomes as clear and forceful as hearing an audible voice, the way Samuel heard an audible voice of the Lord. So we need the word of the Lord to return because it's rare. When that word is rare, the followers of Christ become dry and thirsty. We need that word to return that it may bring us into fellowship with Christ anew and afresh. May God stir our hearts then to seek him to make this word at all times a living word to our souls. Let's close then in prayer. O Lord, as we bow in thy presence now and bring this meeting to a close, we know from thy word that it is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. But Lord, we also know that there are times, maybe more times than we even care to admit, when our own hearts are so dull and dry and insensitive and hard to the things of God, that thy word has little or no impact on our lives. O oh Lord, make thy word a living word to our souls. Grant that thy word, when we turn to it and read it, 
that it will lead us into true and vital fellowship with our Savior Jesus Christ. We ask, O Lord, that we may know the truth, but we ask even above that that we'll know the reality of the truth ministered to our souls by thy Spirit and through thy word. So hear our prayers, for we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.